Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for June 3rd, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, good to have you all on. And um, we're going to be discussing all kinds of topics tonight, but also we got a great guest from South Carolina coming on for the uh, multiple times now. We're going to have Lachlan McIntosh, one of the foremost experts on Palmetto State politics, fill us all in about what's going on in South Carolina. Uh, But until then, I don't think we're going to discuss by any means the most important topic of the day. But early in the week, one that certainly got a lot of attention, and that was Roseanne Barr got on the Twitter and um, made some very racially, racially charged tweets towards Valerie Jarrett. Also had another tweet, I guess, earlier um, about Chelsea Clinton and George Soros um, that was just totally off base, but obviously not the racial construct which Hitler used about, you know, comparing African Americans to something else. Um, and she talked about Valerie Jarrett, which that was an official in the Obama administration, someone that really hadn't been in the news. I kind of thought that was strange. It's like, uh, why? I mean, this is somebody that hadn't been in the news in over a year on a regular basis. Why now? Um, but still, I guess there's a lot to figure out about Roseanne Barr that I haven't. Catherine, have you figured out anything about Roseanne Barr? <laughs> no, I have to admit that. I've never been a fan of her. I never watched her show. I probably made it through 10 minutes of the first one show in the first round. And I just didn't like, I just didn't like the tone. I thought I didn't like the way she spoke to and about her children. And I just, it just wasn't, isn't my kind of comedy. Um, However, you know, I support, you know, comedy as comedy and, and if people enjoy it, that's great. But this uh, rant she went on, starting with the, the Chelsea Clinton and then into this Valerie Jarrett, and you're right. I mean, Valerie Jarrett has been cruising around the country supporting candidates, but in a very quiet and um, non-public way. Um, so I, I, I read some tweet that someone wrote, how did she type those words? Like, how does this come to your mind? And you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to write that and put it out in the public world. I just, I don't understand how a person, especially a successful person who has a lot of people counting on them for their, um, for their welfare and their jobs, puts all that at risk on, this, uh, on a ridiculous, offensive, racist, uh, comment. I, it's just beyond me. 
Yeah, Tim, she blamed Ambien at first, and the makers of Ambien said, uh, mm, mm, we have mm, tested mm, the mm, drug and found that racism is not a known side effect. Um, that that was kind of a crazy alibi, but um, what's your take? Oh, gee. Uh, going over the edge is an understatement of the year. Um, and I, I'm with you. Why, why just pick Valerie? <laughs> Jarrett uh, out of the uh, out of the mix, uh, someone who really hasn't been in the news in a in a while. Um, it, it you know there are racial tensions in this country. C- comparing Jarrett to an ape <laughs> stri- strikes a nerve. Historically, this sort of thing has occurred with African Americans being. Uh, you know, compared to monkeys, apes. Um, I, I had someone tell me that Michelle Obama looked like a Wookiee, you know. Uh, then you couple that with a White House that seems to have embraced white nationalists and in some cases even white supremacists, and and, and it just deepens the divide in this country. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad she was was fired for this. I hate it for the other cast members, but I didn't see where they they really had any choice. Um, it, the, there's a new poll out. Sixty-four percent of the respondents said that racism remains a major problem in this country. Forty-five percent said it's uh, getting worse. Forty-five percent said it gets too little attention. Um, it's just a symptom of 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 a sickness almost. And I'm 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 with Catherine on one thing. How did she actually sit down and compose such garbage as that? I mean, just uh, off the top of her head, I I I don't get it, David. I I, I really I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's kind of stick to what you're, you know, you're about. And if you're about doing an entertainment show, then why are you giving even bad political punditry? Um, this wasn't even political punditry. This was just total nonsense. But I mean, why don't you understand um, that this? There's just no upside for you here. But let's kind of talk about this. I don't, you know, I don't know how to analyze what's going to happen to. You know, Roseanne Barr's career now, you know, what's the next move? That's somebody else's job. But as we've seen, I think, with the, um, you know, American National Anthem issue and the NFL and some other things, people kind of, you know, had political opinions of that. Even after the first wave or whatever happened, there were still some political feelings about this. Is this going to be something that either A, extra energizes people on the left in some way, or maybe more likely, and and maybe not likely at all, um, people on the right to say this is just more political correctness, and they're taking away all our shows. She had the number one show, and by merit, she should have gotten to stay on, and political correctness kicked her off the air. Is this something you think that's going to cause some kind of – resident or some residual feelings on people on either side of the political divide? I don't think so. I think it's going to be forgotten. 
she's going to, you know, disappear. We won't hear from her, at least for a while. She might try again, but I think she's done her what, third or fourth try at this point. I do have to um, give props to ABC for making a bold move very quickly um, to fire her and cancel the show. I thought that was, and I thought the spokeswoman was really great. You know, she was like, some things are more important than money and our values are are one of them. And I I thought that was really good. And also Valerie Jarrett's response was amazing. Um, And so I don't, I I don't see it having residual, um, effect on entertainment. Uh, I, I mean, I just think something else will come on on whatever night it was on and people will forget about it. I think I, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think we have that much uh, invested in our sitcoms that we're going to, you know, carry this over into something else. Yeah. One thing I do think may happen is it may have happened because not not all just because of this, but this they push it forward. We've seen such a splintering of our TV dial with cable. There's so many channels, and there's channels for different demographic groups and different age groups, and and everything there is different interest. Um, but there's not a conservative entertainment network that's explicitly stated that. Um, Tim, could you see an incident like this? causing someone to see that there's money to be made here and there's a would be starting up a conservative entertainment network. And I, for one, am just very worried about the splintering of our country in so many ways. I guess it's called siloing, and this would be more of that. And I don't think it would be productive, but I could see it happen to you. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it could happen, especially if somebody thinks there's a dollar bill to be made in it. But I... I want us to keep our eye on the ball here. This thing Roseanne Barr did was racist. It's racism. It it goes to the White House. You were talking about the NFL a while ago. The NFL wasn't attacked by Donald Trump. Black players in the NFL were attacked by Donald Trump. When he talks about immigrants in a disparaging way, it's always Mexican rapists, people of color. That, that's that's what this is about. It's white nationalism. We might as well call it what it is. Roseanne Barr's doing the same thing that we've heard Donald Trump do. And and uh, you know you know what Roseanne Barr and all the others need to know. They uh, can't get away with this. He can, but they can't. Right now, at least, he can, but they can't. And Roseanne Barr and all of her supporters and all, and all these on the right that are screaming there's a double standard because of uh, uh, Samantha B, what she said and all that, they need to understand something. ABC can hire and fire who they want to. There is free speech, yes, but there's no law that says that you don't pay some sort of a price for exercising your right to free speech, ask the Dixie Chicks. You know, I didn't hear nobody on the right complaining about them when their career was ruined. ABC chose to fire. That's their right. It'll be TBS's right to do whatever they do with Samantha B, too. And that is just the way that it it is. So, you know, these people that are squawking, poor old Roseanne, oh, give me a break. She didn't have to do this. 
didn't you ask me earlier this week, David, why didn't she just have a beer with her next-door neighbor and say this right. stuff and them have a big laugh and nobody would have known a thing? Why did she have to get on Twitter and do it a la Donald Trump? I, yeah, I I, actually, I didn't t- say that to you, but, I mean, that's true. I mean, even though it wouldn't still be the same sentiment in her heart, it, it would have saved her career. Um, I don't know why people use social media the way they do. Catherine? Well, I just think it's interesting um, that I, wa- I watched some of the talk shows this week, and one, one, one that I watched was The View, and they were talking about this Roseanne Barr thing. And Cynthia McCain, is that her name? Yeah. Who's on The View, uh, said she was outraged by it, and she said, why is this a conservative problem? This is a problem, but um, why – she said, when did racism become a conservative issue? Which I think is really interesting. Um, we're all casting aspersions on the right because Roseanne, you know, has been a Trump supporter and whatever. But I do think that this does damage to the sort of traditional Republican Party because everyone's sort of lumping all of it into the, you know, conservatives. But, I mean, I, I just think that, that it's worth sort of like considering, like, the, not only did she – do damage to herself and do something really offensive. She's also managed to put a pretty strong black mark on the, on the GOP, um, which I don't necessarily think is deserved for every Republican. I mean, I don't think every Republican is a racist. Yeah. And I think you're talking you about know, Mike Kane's uh, daughter. You, yeah. Yeah, I, I was yeah. going to say, and, you, you and, know, and, and John do. McCain doesn't deserve that. Uh, her father, for one, we could name plenty of others, but Donald Trump has taken over that party. And as long as Tim Scott, Mia Love, you know, John McCain probably has more than some. If they, as long as they don't stand up to Donald Trump, um, they're gonna the Republican Party is going to be seen that way. They've got to stand yeah. up to him, um, Tim. You just said exactly what I was about to say. There is where I blame the Republican Party. They could have stood up to Trump, especially congressional Republicans, tell him, no, you're not going to say that. And if you do say that, here's what we're going to do to you. You're not just going to do this. You cannot do anything you want to. You cannot say anything uh, you you want to. Uh, but they're not doing that. They, I think they've decided to just let Trump go ahead and do whatever Trump wants to do as long as they can uh, pass some of their pro. That I mean, they're just going to look the other way. Wouldn't look the other way for a Democrat, and I tell you what, Democrats wouldn't look the other way if a Democrat acted like that either. Uh, they they well, should and, be ashamed. And that brings us up to, Tim, something you segued uh, over to a little bit or started to that, you know, Roseanne Barr didn't get away with this. Donald Trump can. Uh, a Democrat right. hadn't gotten away with this. Al Franken, I would say that most bullets said he did a lot less than Donald Trump is. He no longer serves in our government. Donald Trump does. And on the Republican side, just this week, the governor of Missouri um, resigned. He, he, you know, he really embroiled himself into something 
but he was forced to resign. Donald Trump isn't. And people are really starting to see why Donald Trump gets away with everything. And I think that's totally unfair um, that Donald Trump seems to, you know, in this case, be old Teflon Don and never pays the price. But then could some people, Catherine, on the right see him kind of a folk hero, that he's the one man that doesn't fall susceptible to um, the rules that everybody else has to play by? Don't we all have to play by rules? I mean, he is the president. I mean, okay, he's the president, so he doesn't have to, you know, follow the rules. But doesn't that weaken the presidency if he's, you know, allowed to just, if no one challenges him to all this um, sort of ridiculous uh, tweeting and, you know, all, all of it. Doesn't that weaken the presidency? Doesn't it make him look like, you know, less than the leader he should be? I mean, I, I think you're like, right. It, it, it does weaken. It weakens our democracy. I mean, if our democracy was a metaphorical private jet, by the time he gets it through with it, it's going to be a, a trashed-out bicycle with busted rims. I mean, he is just doing so much damage to our democracy, uh, it's unfathomable. Um, Tim, I mean, do you think he is, he plays by a double standard? Uh, I, I just think this man seriously thinks that he can just do whatever he wants to do. He's pretty well done that all of his life. He thinks he's in a place now where he has basically the closest thing to unlimited power there is on this planet, and he's going to pretty well utilize it. No, no, Nobody is, is going to tell Donald Trump what to do. John Boehner the other day said uh, uh, Republic, while the Republican Party took a nap, Trump took the party over. There is no Republican Party any longer, only a Trump party. I, I, I guess that's about right now. I would have never thought I would have seen somebody though like Mitch McConnell stand by and let Donald Trump, the the likes of somebody like Donald Trump, just push him around. It's sickening to watch. It really is. Uh, I would rather and then lose he... every election than to put up with somebody like that. Yeah, and then he's got this passel of lawyers who are – Saying yeah, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, yeah. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani made the rounds on the morning shows today, today, and was basically like, "Well, yeah, he could uh, pardon himself, but he won't." <laughs> Which well, means he will for if he, he gets does. to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch line. of stuff, but we know they they're basically the telling him he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, well, and, and you and Timmy said he pushes Mitch McConnell around. He's pushed Paul Ryan out. Um, I yeah. really believe that if if Hillary Clinton were um, president and he were speaker, that he would have stayed in office. If um, who was John Kasich? Let's say John Kasich was the you know second closest Republican. If he were president, I think Paul Ryan remains speaker. But 
Donald Trump has completely pushed Paul Ryan out. One of the, you know, thought leaders, one of the hottest prospects, a younger guy as far as politics and Republican politics goes. And his career's over because he just showed no uh, gumption enough to stand up to Donald Trump and just got pushed completely out of his career. Um, well, let's go ahead and switch gears. And what we alluded to early in the show, we're going to get into some Palmetto State politics with the expert of South Carolina politics, Lachlan McIntosh. Welcome back, Lachlan. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Always good to be on. Oh, yeah. Well, um, let's get right into this. Uh, South Carolina's got a full slate of races. And um, I'm going to tell you something that uh, I've seen a lot of different governor's races get attention, but I haven't seen a lot about the South Carolina race. I'm sure that's totally different in state. Um, but I know some other times, like in 98, it probably didn't get a lot of attention, and it was a great race where Jim Hodges won. Um, do you get that sense that it's pretty much a in-state race only and it's not really gotten a lot of national attention? Well, I think that's right. I think there's a lot going on around the country right now, and I think a lot of folks are, are paying more attention to the congressional and Senate races, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and, of course, you know, we don't know who the nominee is going to be for either party yet. Both parties have um, competitive primaries, especially on the Republican side. Um, you know, and, and look, I mean, let us it's been – Democrats haven't won the governor's race in South Carolina since 1990. Um, obviously, if, if, if we're going to do it um, anytime soon, I think this is an excellent opportunity based on what's going around the country and what we've seen in, in special elections. So it's, it's certainly one that uh, that I think everyone should keep an eye out on, and uh, and one that I you know I think the DGA, for instance, definitely is not uh, fully unfamiliar with uh, with what's going on down here. Yeah. Well. Well, kind of fill us in on the Republican side. I, if I'm not mistaken, Nikki Haley uh, did not finish her term when she uh, took a job as U.N. ambassador. So Henry McMaster, uh, the current governor, did he win a special election or did he get promoted to the spot, if you will? He, he got promoted. He had been lieutenant governor. and He was also the first uh, major politician in South Carolina to endorse Donald Trump. So a lot of folks speculate. That's why Nikki Haley got the job in the U.N. for the first place, was to reward McMaster. So, yeah, you've got McMaster, who's running as the incumbent, but not elected. He did get elected to, to, as lieutenant governor by a fairly wide margin uh, years ago. Uh, you have uh, a, bureau, a former bureaucrat named Catherine Templeton, who, uh, you know, in today's world, you just make things up. And, and on the Republican side in particular, and that's fair, she's running as a uh, is a buzzsaw conservative uh, outsider and has spent the last year traveling the state. Uh, she's gotten a lot of controversy, but really playing to her base was crazy right-wing things, praising her Confederate heritage um, and, and saying a lot of bizarre and crazy things. She's got an ad on the air right now where she's got a small handgun and she's shooting a rattlesnake. That's gotten a lot of attention. And uh, then there's a guy named Warner who's a uh, businessman from the upstate uh, who has uh, put in about $3 billion of his own money. And uh, probably, is, I mean, he's, he's, don't get me wrong, he's far right, but he's probably running the best campaign out of the three. Um, you know, we saw some public polling earlier in the week that, uh, you know, I don't know much about the polling company. Let me say that first. But based on that poll, uh, there's, by the way, there's a couple of other minor candidates. Actually, the current lieutenant governor is running, and he's barely making a, a, a splash. 
and, our, and the former Democratic lieutenant governor, believe it or not, Yancey McGill, is running as a Republican. He, too, is not going to get out of single digits. Uh, the top was uh, sort of anyone's game. You know, McMaster is not as strong as he's in first, but nowhere near 50%. South Carolina, you have to get 50 plus one to avoid a runoff in the primaries. And uh, he's at, I think, 30, the high 30. So it's, it's doubtful he'll, it, he'll get over 50. Certainly a weaker showing for a man in, a, in his position. Uh, Templeton was second, but Warner was really gaining the fastest and seems to have the most momentum and a, at a close third. So I think the way you look at the race now, based on what we know, is uh, a master will be in the runoff and then either and one of the other two um, that I mentioned will be in there. And then I tell you, I think one of the, the – I, I think the master's in trouble in the runoff. Uh, I think that even though Trump is, 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 is endorsed him and has uh, and is in all of the spots, which obviously means a lot to – to Republican primary voters, sadly. Um, you know, he's just an older guy, and uh, he's been in politics for 35 years, and, and, uh, and he's, I guess he and Trump are about the same age, but he, you know, he didn't have the kind of energy that Trump seems to give off, you know, and I mean, he comes across as kind of tired. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty interesting. Well, you mentioned uh, something. You mentioned Catherine Templeton, in her ad, she um, pulls out a gun, carries this gun around, shoots a snake. Um, we have a candidate in Georgia that pulled a gun on his uh, supposed uh, daughter's boyfriend, and he uses a gun in another ad, too. He's yet to shoot the gun. Who even knows if he knows how to shoot the gun? But um, what right. is it? Is it your consultant? Is there some kind of polling that shows, like, the more you use and know and talk about firearms the better in the Republican electorate, or they just hate snakes? Well, I think you got to remember what's there and, and kind of the, the craziness and the paranoia that these people are being fed every day that someone's going to come try to take your, your guns. Um, so, you know, these folks really believe that. So that plays up to that fear, um, you know, and, and, and it plays, you know, curries favor with these kinds of people that, you know, I'm going to protect your guns. And it's you know, obviously it's about culture too, and this is a you know a gun culture. But remember, it's you know these people don't have the Republican primary voters don't really have real and, and and real life understandings of what's going on right now. They they think these little kids from Parkland High School in Florida are going to come try to take their guns away, you know. So, but sure, it's something we're yeah, seeing all the time. And you know, Catherine is from Charleston, and she's using a small handgun. About the same kind of handgun that, that that murdered nine people at the AME Church in Charleston a few years ago, including a friend of mine. And uh, you know, I look at it and it just makes me sick. But you know, obviously, we live in sick times. So, and by the way, one yeah, thing I didn't finish what, the thought on Catherine. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I go ahead and keep talking about the, the uh, governor's race. Yeah, I was going to say that Templeton, you know, runs as this outsider, but. You know, under the Haley administration, she served as the head of our DHEC, Department of Health, Department of Health and uh, Regulations, and, and and another another agency. So, you know, she she's I've known her for years. She's been around for years. She does. She's of course not not an outsider at all. wasn't even a Republican until very recently, but now she runs as the hardest right that you can possibly run. Yeah, and I was going to say, anybody knows anything about killing snakes knows a hoe is much better. Uh, than any other tool you can find to kill a snake. And you shouldn't kill all snakes anyway. Rattlesnakes may be a different story, but a lot of people see a snake and they won't kill it even if it's a rat snake. It's not going to um, do anything but uh, kill to keep the rats out of your garden. Um, 
Well, let me go ahead and pass this thing over because we got so many more races to talk about, and I want to give um, Catherine and Tim plenty of opportunity. Catherine? Sure. Hey, Lachlan, nice to have you on the hey. show. Thank you. I was reviewing all these races in the congressional races, and I was struck by the Trey Gowdy race, the District 4. There was like 100 Republicans. I mean, not 100, but... Yeah. A whole bunch of Republicans running and a pretty good handful of Democrats. But also I wanted so I wanted to ask you about that, but I also wanted to ask you about the American Party. Um, is this something I don't I don't remember noticing this party before. Is this something new in South Carolina or what's the scoop? Ah, uh, you know, I think it's in the uh it's a you know I think every state has different rules on uh, third party access. I think the American Party has been on our ballot for a while, um, and I, I think that Catherine, forgive me, I think it's a a friends right party, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, what about, now, what about, about the, all these candidates running? What's the? Yeah, you know the, the fourth is uh, is the Greenville Spartanburg area. It is very very Republican. I I, I think there's a. You know, I think there's a, there's some good folks on our side that are running, and of course everyone's running as a Republican that's ever wanted to run for Congress before because these opportunities don't come often. But I think at the end of the day, that's not a district that we'll be competitive at. Um, I, I think that there are there is a there are opportunities for Democrats in South Carolina. Unfortunately, the, the best one was probably the fifth district with R.G. Parnell, who came about uh, two or three points from winning in a special election a year ago. Um, and I discussed this because you know he. He's probably going to be the nominee, but, you know, he's had some, some fairly uh, campaign-ending type circumstances and events that have come forward about him and his past. And I would say that that race is probably off the table for us. Uh, the first district, though, is one that um, that I like. It's a pretty Republican district, but it's very suburban and educated. And uh, it's Mark Sanford's district, and he's in a fairly tough primary battle with someone running to his right attacking him for not being uh, right-wing enough. And uh, <laughs> Democrats have a, uh, a a very good candidate named Joe Cunningham. He's a good fundraiser. He's been working hard. He's been meeting people, shaking hands. He fits the district extremely well. And, uh, you know, that's a di- that was Trump's, other than other than the district that Jim Clyburn reps, it was Trump's weakest district uh, a couple of years ago. So that's a district that I like. I like that race. You know, look, we need a wave year to win it. But uh, maybe we'll have a wave, you know. And then the seventh district of South Carolina, um, depending on who our nominee is, uh, we could have a shot at that one as well. Which one of these candidates looks like the best well, chance I'll, for that? Well, I want to be careful with that because one of them is my client. Okay. So of course it's my client, okay. <laughs> Bill Hawkins. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. Bill Hawkins is uh, HopkinsForCongress.com. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, you know that's a that's a district that we uh, that's a district that Obama lost forty five fifty five twice. Uh, Hillary lost much more, but it's again it's a district in a wave year. Um, it's uh, it's thirty percent African American, and uh, you know it's an interesting district really. So yeah, the seventh, the, the first, and then the seventh maybe 
Um, it could be districts that, that we have a shot at in particular in a good year. And I don't want to forget, by the way, to talk about the Democratic candidates for governor, unless you guys have already covered that. I don't want to leave them out. Oh, no, we have not, not covered that. But you know what? I'm going to pass it along to Tim. He may ask you about that, or we'll get, back, get it back to David to ask you about that. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Sure. Tim? Oh, good evening, Lachlan. Thank you for being hey. with us tonight. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask you about something that, that we actually had to face over here in Georgia, um, and that's about your state house. Republicans in your state are within like a three-seat gain of having a veto-proof majority. Are they going to get there this year? Um. Well, unfortunately, you know, there, there are definitely some. They're going to pick up. Let me back up. There's some seats they'll win that we have now. For instance, we had a, a Democratic member in the Upstate who was a is a popular football coach who's retiring, and we couldn't even find any, or the party couldn't even find someone to run against him. Um, but there there is an opportunity for us down in the Low Country to pick up a seat or two um, where it's a little more uh, friendlier to us suburban type districts. Um, my guess is is that there is probably a draw at the end of the day uh, from the state house. Of course, our state senate is not up uh, at all, which uh-huh. helps, by the way, because not only are we not veto-proof there, we still can have filibusters and whatnot. The Democrats in the Senate, you know, stopped a personhood amendment, uh, a personhood bill, just a month or so ago, by the way, and uh, mm-hmm. one of the first victories we've had in the legislature in a long, long time, major victories. So, yeah, I, I don't think they'll get it. This year It's probably not the right year for them, and, and they can't. They, the Senate isn't up. So. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about that might affect your state house races in particular uh, and, and maybe some of your constitutional races, it just so happens that this thing, I, this story I was reading, uh, the trial begins tomorrow. Now, you have apparently had a big scandal involving several uh, Republican state legislators. One mm-hmm. of them, uh, Senator John Corson, has been in the legislature for nearly 35 years. His corruption trial starts tomorrow. In, in the investigation that bagged him, three other legislators have already pleaded guilty and two others have been indicted. Uh, what is this all about, and is it big news in your state? Well, it's certainly not as big a news as it should be. Um, the newspapers cover it, but, you know, it's not, get, it's not getting the kind of notice that it should, and that's sad. It's, a, it's complicated, but essentially it involves a, a Republican uh, public relations consultant named Richard Quinn and his son Rick Quinn, who was one of the former legislators, former majority leader of the House, um, who have a massive public relations slash political consulting firm and have all these Republican clients um, and huge clients like South Carolina Ports was one of their clients, they, and they were and they were essentially in a lot of ways using their legis- using Rick's legislative influence and their allies in the legislature to uh, curry favor and make money out of it, essentially. I mean, that's the, that's the essential charge. John Corson, um, was, that's not what he was charged with. John Corson was, was kind of caught up in the investigation. He was a client of the Quinn firm. Um, apparently what he was doing was, he, based on the Quinn's advice, no less, 
and I look, John Carson, John Corson is somebody I've known for a long time and uh, I don't agree with him politically, but I like him and think he's a good person. Um, he's about 75, 77 years old. Uh, my understanding is the Clint, he, he was complaining one day that he had a lot of extra money in his, in his campaign account and, uh, when, and too bad I can't use it. He couldn't use it. And one of the Quinn said, hey, we've got this great idea. Give us the money for services rendered, and we'll we'll pay you back half of it. And he went along with it. <laughs> but the, oh, but the wow. Quinns are, are bad. The, the, the Quinns are bad people, and uh, and they've been doing a lot of bad things. And but this is a this is a uh, investigation that's not totally unlike what we're seeing with with Russia and Trump and Mueller. Um, these guys are not the people that are being targeted. Not even the Quinns. The Quinns are. The old, the old man, Richard Quinn, is actually cooperating with prosecutors and with the investigators. Um, we don't exactly know who the target is, uh, but uh, the, the word is, and what people, the best guess we have, and this isn't a secret, is to see Attorney General Alan Wilson, who's uh, the son of Congressman Eli Joe Wilson, um, who, uh, who is, is, it appears that this investigation is building up to. Um, Wilson, by the way, has two Republican primary opponents and for the, who are campaigning on ethics and are making this an issue in the Republican primary, this particular yeah. investigation. So uh, the fact that yeah. he could be the target isn't, isn't, a, isn't, a, isn't, my, just isn't my guess. It's all of our guesses. Yeah. As I recall, that, that's the man who uttered the famous, you lie. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to Barack so, yeah. Obama, and so Godspeed those who are running. Yeah, there you go. They're real, whole, they're real, they're real wholesome people, really good people that you want to be hang, have dinner with. Yeah, something. really. Yeah. They're, gar- they're, and, they're garbage. Yeah. And and with that, to take up the Democratic side of what's going on statewide, I'm going to turn it back over to David. David. Yes, I'm so, sorry we uh, didn't cover that earlier uh, with the Republicans, but. There are Democratic candidates. Uh, one I've heard of, and another one sounds like a really solid candidate, and the other one may be great, too. Um, tell us about that Democratic race. Well, there's three There's three candidates running. Uh, one is uh, Representative James Smith. He's been in the State House for a good while. Um, he's also a, uh, served in Afghanistan in the war, earned a Purple Heart. Um, still a relatively young guy, not 50 yet, and uh, is a uh, Probably the front runner, um, probably the the choice of most of the uh, elected Democrats in the state. I, I think that's pretty clear. Been pretty successful in fundraising, working hard. Um, there's another candidate, uh, I think major candidate named uh, Marguerite Willis, who's a very successful attorney from the Florence area of our state. Uh, she is uh, um, very wealthy. I think has been able to in part self fund the campaign, not completely. Um, but she's been active and uh, is has raised enough money to to be competitive. Then there's a third candidate who's a old political hack consultant named Phil Noble, who's been around for oh 40 years, probably running campaigns. He's running as an outsider businessman, <laughs> so uh, he has not been as successful in, in fundraising. And uh, don't think that he'll be and too much of an impact. There there could be a uh, a uh, a runoff in that race. There's definitely going to be a runoff on the Republican side. That's guaranteed. You know, on the Democratic side, it's a little more unclear. I think it's possible that Smith could win without a runoff, but that's still difficult. That's still difficult to do. But I do think, yeah, that, that, you know, this would be – James could be – the James is the type of candidate, you know, in the right year, in the right environment, 
that could beat the Republican. He's a, you know, he's not an outsider, but uh, you know, he, you know, he's a war hero. He is a, uh, he is a good guy, um, and you know, people like him. People, you know, he's won in his district. He's won support from both sides for many, many years. Um, he can reach out to folks that think differently. You know, I, I think he could, he could be interesting, and I think Marguerite Willis also could. If she were the nominee, um, you know, I think that she, I, I think she probably needs to be a little more focused and disciplined in her campaign if she moves on uh, than she has been thus far. Um, but you know, she's somebody I think also that could prove appealing in the general election. Well, let me ask you. Um, the, the, it sounds like it's a lot about the wave uh, election would be important. Is there any geographical? Um, caveats here with any of these candidates and that could be on either side where they might do you know overperform um mm -hmm. in the case of the democrats or maybe underperform in the case of republicans in one part of the state or another yeah i think the key for a democrat to win or even be competitive in south carolina right now is the charleston area down on the coast um charleston is trending blue um uh, kind of right before our eyes it's the only part of the state that really is uh, it, it, a lot of new people are moving here. Um, a lot of people who are college educated live here now, um, and that's just really helping the Democratic Party grow. Uh, but you know, for a Democrat to win statewide, kind of the the, the unwritten rule is they got to get about 60% of the vote in Charleston and Charleston County. And uh, it's possible. It hadn't been done in a long time. It's real easy to get 52 or 53. Um, but to get 60, you know, takes something special. But that's that's what a Democrat needs to do to win in Charleston. Um, it's been quite a while since somebody posted that number. It's probably 10 or 12 years, even though the county's trending more blue. But, again, <laughs> it could be a broken record. This is the year it could happen. You know, Trump is very, very unpopular in Charleston area. Even the Republicans here, you know, they're, they're not Trump Republicans. You know, these are successful people, people that make money. You know, these are the people that say, hey, stay out of my checkbook. But that's really about all they care about. They don't they don't jive with the things that Trump says, you know. Yes. And then I guess there's only uh, the down ballot race is the only one that's going to be open is going to be the lieutenant governor's race. Um, how does is that pretty much the most likely race of any of them to flip or any of these Republican incumbents? down ballot um looking weak well lieutenant governor is actually not now on the ballot uh it's a new rule and they, they were running mates um so lieutenant governor will be a cho will be in the governor run as a team um the uh you know attorney general what i just mentioned is a race that seems competitive now in the primary and potentially could be competitive and uh in the fall there is a democratic candidate in constance nastapula who could be a competitive candidate, could have strong fundraising abilities and appeal. Um, but, yeah, those, to me, each race is probably, other than governor, the only real race that we could be competitive in, meaning that I believe that we have candidates that could form strong enough, well-financed enough campaigns to communicate, kind of get through. Yes, well, um, that's... Good to know. Is there anything else that we might not have covered in South Carolina politics that we should hear about? Hmm. No, I think we covered a good bit with the scandal and uh, and the races that matter, the statewide, the congressional. You know, I you know I think that uh, that 
that there are opportunities here that we haven't had in the last two or three cycles. Um, but it is one of these things where, you know, everything has to go right. And, you know, so far with that, the, the Archie Parnell situation, there's a one big thing that didn't go right, you know, and we just can't have that too often. Um, every, everything, the moons have to align at least right now in time. Um, you know, on the local level, you know, down in Charleston, I think, you know, Democrats are going to pick up courthouse seats. They're going to pick up maybe a state house seat or two. Things continue to go well there, which is why when you're looking for a place to vacation, Charleston's a great place to go. And a short trip for most people <laughs> listening, I'm sure. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely, we definitely have some, I wouldn't say anything. Is, I'm not, I can't predict an upset. Call me back in August or early September and maybe we'll have a better idea. But there's certainly a few races to keep a close eye on. And that's more than we've been able to say in a little bit. Yeah, well, just to own our for now. Um, oh, go ahead, Catherine. Lachlan, can you explain quickly how this lieutenant governor thing works? So there's people on, there's like people listed as running, but you're saying that it ultimately what will happen is that a, the uh, governor's candidates will select a lieutenant governor running mate. Yeah, and that's what you're seeing, I'm sure. I don't know exactly what you're looking at, but I'm sure what you're seeing is a list. So the major candidates for governor have already, yeah, already announced who their running mate is. For instance, James oh. Smith is Mandy Powers Norrell, who is a state representative from the outside of Charlotte. Um, and uh, so that, that's what you're seeing, I believe. So a lot of them kind of oh, okay. gone ahead and, and picked their, their running mate so the running mate can campaign with them in the primary. Uh, Marguerite Willis and is so, a state so senator. You do, John so Scott from no, yeah. So there's no lieutenant governor um, election. Like, you don't see them on the ballot at all. And that'll, that'll, that'll the be primary. the first time in yeah, that'll be the first time in South Carolina that's ever happened, correct? Okay. I just I, I just didn't understand exactly how that was going to work. Thank you very much. It's, uh, we didn't either until a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a quick question on Archie Parnell, uh, Lachlan. Okay, I know that he there's other candidates in the race. If he drops out, one of them wins, they become the nominee. And I guess the thought is they're not very strong. If he were to win the nomination, could he choose to drop out? And then could the Democratic Party replace him with a more formidable candidate? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, probably no. Um, you know, he, he did, of course, the, elect, the primary is June 12th, so that's just a little over a week away. Um, in order to drop out, it would have to be for not and, – and for the party to be able to replace him. It would have to be for reasons like he's sick, like he dies, like um, – you know, he has, there's an emergency that he can document and he has to move or can't run or something like that. But of course, we already know why he's in trouble now. We've heard the, the stories and it's been written about. And, and therefore, I, I can't see under any foreseeable circumstance that that could happen. I think we're probably just, you know, he was asked to drop out. The DCCC asked him to drop out. Congressman Clyburn asked him to drop out. You know, he refused. And, uh, and because the other candidates are so weak, I mean, like running one of them is literally a clown. His profession is a clown. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's hard to imagine, you know, just but people just know, not knowing guy, who anyone is. That guy has, is well-educated. He worked a long time. He's been doing anti-bullying um, training in schools across South Carolina. You know, just because he had a profession as a clown, which is a perfectly respectable profession. He worked for 
<laughs> he went to Ringling College, and he well, worked I, for Ringling I didn't mean he was a clown as like. So, I didn't. He, I didn't mean he's a clown like Donald Trump's a clown. <laughs> he was a clown like that's his profession. But well, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Catherine, I looked at his site too, and I agree he's a high quality clown. And, and, and I know I'm laughing as I say this, but Tim and I, I think he was Tim's state senator for a while. He actually was a clown on the side, and we we'll talk about it. He was a state senator from the Rome area, served multiple counties, oh, wow. and was the uh, ranking member of the education committee. Teaching was his other job, but he was a clown on the side. So, I mean, obviously, we have this guy running in Kansas that's a low-quality clown. It sounds like you've got high-quality clowns in South Carolina running. He, so, oh, yeah, he is, wins, he's a high-quality clown. He's a clown he's you better can get than behind. The, well, he's a clown, right, yeah. This is, that's a great slogan. Uh, we ought to uh, give that to him. A clown you can get behind. <laughs> yeah, just don't get behind the elephant. Get behind the clown. Um, that's, yeah, that's definitely uh, good advice, too. Lachlan, uh, great information on the Palmetto State. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Uh, I know you'll be working hard on behalf of your candidates. Uh, tell people where they can uh, read your tweets, your social media, anything else that you write about the state. Well, I think the best way is probably to follow my Twitter, which is just at uh, Lachlan McIntosh. It's L-A-C-H-L-A-N-M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. Actually, check that. It's McIntosh Lachlan, excuse me, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H-L-A-C-H-L-E-N. I guess I should know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you knew how to spell your name, so you're doing better than I do know how to spell my name, right. So, yeah, it took me until I was seven, but, uh, but I memorized it finally. <laughs> Yeah, hey, it sounds like uh, my name's Mac Lachlan. My mama one time, I think when I was in first grade, bought pencils with my name on it so I would get it right until I learned yeah, it. So I, I, it. I know the feeling. Smart, smart woman. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> well, uh, good to have you on the show, and uh, we'll probably ch- check back in with you later on about uh, South Carolina politics closer to November. Yeah, that sounds good. We ought to have a much better idea of, of what we should expect or can't expect. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. That was Lachlan McIntosh of South Carolina. Uh, Guys, we've got 10 minutes, and we've got three huge topics. We've got North Korea. We've got tariffs all over the world. And we've got where's Melania? Um, Mm. Catherine, uh, of those three, which one do you want to try to pack? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I think they'll all be around next week, except for Melania. She may not be around because she ain't been around for about three weeks now. <laughs> I guess I, I'm kind of interested in talking about the tariff. Okay. Because um, I think the, the, the it's really tariff. interesting that – I think it's really interesting that he would slap tariffs on German automobiles, which I'm sure his whole fleet of vehicles is – is freaking uh, Mercedes Benz? Like, what? What is that? I just think it's odd. Yeah, and then uh, and Canada. Let's kind of frame this. Uh, he, he's putting tariffs on food and steel and aluminum on all kind of things on the European Union, on Canada, on Mexico. Um, Justin Trudeau immediately got on TV said he's going to come to Washington and try to talk. Donald Trump out of this. I don't know if he's going to try to talk all of the tariffs out or if he's just going to try to take care of Canada, which 
if he just does take care of Canada, I can understand that. He's the you know prime minister of Canada. But um, uh, it seems like then some other nations might try to do the same. Uh, Tim, he wants to make America great again, yet so many Republicans in his own party and so many Democrats now are free traders. Uh, would say this is going to you know, do damage to the economy. The one thing he likes to point to, and this week there was good employment news, um, which, you know, how much of that was Barack Obama's administration, we could debate that at another time. But what does this do for the economy? Well, um, according to most economists, except for Donald Trump's own uh the list of countries uh, it's not going to be good the list of countries affected continues to grow uh Catherine mentioned germany the european union uh canada mexico and of course uh, he just keeps bringing it up with china and up in the ante with them he he seems to be giving us I don't know, 1960 solutions to what's going on now. You know, tariffs, for instance, like between 1790 and 1860, before the income tax, tariff produced about 90% of federal revenue, okay? Now, now they're a drop in the ocean, collecting about, oh, $40 billion a year. We're now in a period of global trade with the president who is advocating an isolationist or America first policy. Most economists, as I said, say this is bad in the twenty first century. Let, let's get let's give you an example, guys. In two thousand two, Bush forty three, you might remember, imposed steel tariffs. Well guess what? It cost our economy about two hundred thousand jobs. It is estimated that this broadband of tariffs he proposes could cost about a million and a half jobs. With the economy working along so well, why would he do this? I mean, I know he said he was going to do it during the campaign, and he's always been one that you know, did not like free trade and this sort of thing. And and Republicans are, are, are about to go crazy about this, by the way. But why would why would he do this now? Why not let it ride? I, I, I again I don't get it. But then I'm trying to get Donald Trump, so Well and, and here's Catherine the thing. We talked about the D T <laughs> Well and I will get to Catherine in a second, but we talked about the Z T E deal. Like what was the end game? Then we found out I'm sorry, uh, Ivanka Trump, um, her businesses were given some concessions in China, and it started to make sense. Are we going to find out that maybe not Donald Trump directly, because they're big in stakes and water and fake colleges, um, (laughs) is there some type of interest in building materials, and therefore if they're tariffs, maybe the, the country hurts, but his particular company that he favors benefits because everything seems to have an economic end game that benefits Donald Trump or people in the direct Donald Trump orbit. Um, And I just listened to James Comey's book, and so this became even clearer as James Comey lays it out. 
Um, if you hadn't listened to it, it really is a good read slash listen. Catherine, could there be some economic incentive for Trump people? I'm sure there could be, but to me, this just seems like a um, like a gimme to his base. Like I think his base likes to hear that we're going to hurt these other countries, and it's going to be good for. And he's going to try to sell it as being good for this country because international, uh, you know, global economics is very complicated. Uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not just a matter of putting tariffs on, on some countries and some products to, um, you know, repair whatever trade deficits we might have or whatever it is that he's, that he's claiming to try to fix. But I think it resonates with people who don't understand it. It's like, oh, good, we're going we're gonna, to um, tax those countries that are bringing in products that compete with ours. But it's so much more complicated than that. But he doesn't want to have to try to explain it. Nobody wants to explain that. I mean, they don't even like to talk about it on the, you know, weekend politics shows because it's so uh, dull and unexciting. Um, but I think that I, I don't think I mean, it may be that there's also a benefit for one of his donors or for him or whatever. There may be a benefit there. But I think more likely it's just that this is what he said he was going to do, number one. And number two, it's an easy um, argument for it's something that people think they understand, um, even though they don't, in my opinion. Yeah, it just um, comes out of nowhere, particularly the countries that he picks. He's getting softer on China and harder on Canada, harder on the European yeah. Union. I don't know that anybody gets shocked when he's harder on Mexico because that gets into a whole nother realm of his diplomatic policy. Um, I use the word diplomatic loosely. Um, Tim, you know, why now and why two entities in the European Union, of course, is many countries, but these two entities that have been our allies since, you know, and before World War II? Yeah, well, we've discussed this before, how Donald Trump seems to be treating our friends worse than our enemies. I mean, uh, he's treating Russia better than he is the European Union. Uh, China is is kind of back and forth, but they're getting treated better than Japan is. Our our, our Mexico, our 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 best trading partner of all, and our our, our friend to our north, Canada. Why why kick them around, and why kick ourselves around in the process? I mean. Does anyone in their right mind think that a trade war is good? Well, other than Donald Trump, you know, uh, who hollered, oh, a trade war would be easy. We could win it. It won't be that big a deal. Well, in this period of globalization, we have a global yeah. economy now. And I'm going to tell you what, if, if the American economy gets hurt, it's, it's going to affect the whole world. And if the whole world's economy gets hurt, it's going to affect America. And this guy is just intent. He inherited a, an economy that had six straight years of job growth, and they continued. He hasn't yet driven the economy in the ditch 
And somehow he just seems intent on doing that, and I just don't get it. I don't have an answer for you there, there, David, unless it's just something that he's deluded himself into believing is a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, either that or he's a total sociopath, and I, I hadn't gone that far to think that he purposely wants to wreck the economy to hurt people. Catherine? Well, it might be that the the um, leaders of the these countries, France, Canada, um, and Germany, are very popular, and uh, maybe he's maybe in his insane mind, he thinks that if he can hurt them, then he will become more popular in the in the in the world. I don't think that makes any sense, but I can see how his. Um, my, well, I don't, I can't, but I can sort of imagine that he might think that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Justin Trudeau is popular all over the world, and he's welcomed everywhere he goes. Um, Angela Merkel is really sort of teeing up to be the one of the most powerful leaders in the in the world. So I just think I, I wonder if that if if part of what's driving that is him trying to uh, put them in their place, so to speak. That is not stable. Catherine, I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> I think you could be right. But that is not stable. I mean, if you're, oh, if no, that's your stable. way, you have to pull others down, and you're a leader of a country, uh, and you're that insecure. I mean, that that is sad state of affairs, and I, I don't think you're completely off base by any means. There could be some truth in that. Uh, that, that's about where we're at. Um, one of y'all mentioned Russia and how he, you know, is building them up. Uh, anybody listening, if you can still find it, Catherine Tim, you make him record an overnight viewing on ESPN or one of the ESPN networks. E60 did a thing on Russian, Russian hooligans, and this is really not a sports story. It is a, a very um, interesting thing about what's going on with Russian youths right now. And um, with the World Cup coming up, this thing could get really ugly. And, uh, of course, as close to Donald Trump as to Russia, um, that may not be the best look for him. So if you have a chance, uh, look up. It came on this morning. E60 had recorded it and watched at some point in the afternoon um, on Russia. It's a a fascinating story. Um, Well, thanks again to Lachlan McIntosh. Until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody.